The Art of Leadership Network. Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. It's Carrie here, and I hope our time together today helps you thrive in life and leadership. Whatever you are doing, wherever you are, welcome. We welcome new listeners to this podcast every month, every episode. And if you are new, hey, here's what we try to do. We try to bring you the best behind-the-scenes conversations in leadership. Whatever you're leading, a lot of you lead in the local church. A lot of you are invested in the local church. A lot of you lead in businesses. We're just glad to have you. And today, we're going to learn about Generation Z. Dr. Tim Elmore is going to join us. And today's episode is brought to you by Pro Media Fire. You can sign up today for their free recession-proof growth strategy webinar when you go to promediafire.com slash recessionproof. And it's brought to you by Compassion International. Meet a practical need for a child in poverty this holiday season. Simply go to compassion.com slash giving tree slash carry. Well, have you ever tried to crack the code on Gen Z who are now not just in high school, not just in college, but are entering the workforce? You've come to the right place. We're going to talk about how five different generations can get along at work and why Gen Z mistrusts authority, but also how to engage them. Tim Elmore is the founder and CEO of Growing Leaders, an Atlanta-based nonprofit organization created to develop emerging leaders. His work grew out of 20 years serving alongside Dr. John C. Maxwell. His work has appeared in the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, USA Today, Psychology Today, and he's been featured on CNN's Headline News and Fox and Friends to talk about leading multiple generations in the marketplace. He has written, are you ready for this? 35 books. Over 35 books? That's insane. Anyway, some of them have sold millions of copies as well. It's great to have Tim back on the podcast. Well, when you hear the word recession, as I mentioned earlier, does it trigger you a little bit? One of the worst things you can do, though, is to allow fear to paralyze you or overreact by cutting too much. The good news is you can grow during a recession. It just requires a strategy. That's why Pro Media Fire would love to have you join their free recession-proof growth strategy webinar this month. It's a free event. And it's for businesses, nonprofits, and churches. And in it, you'll learn about new technological advancements that can help you save money and grow. You'll discover how to hack your growth online with a new method. And you'll receive a digital next steps plan for your visitors. So you can grow during a recession. To do it, sign up today for the Recession Proof Growth Strategy Webinar from ProMediaFire at promediafire.com slash recessionproof. That's promediafire.com slash recessionproof. And speaking of partners I love, I love Compassion. Our church has partnered with them. My wife and I have partnered with them. And wherever they serve around the world, which is 26 countries, they partner with the local church to release children from poverty in Jesus' name. And they're doing that this Christmas in a way that your church can get involved in. You know what your church is going to be looking for? It's like, what are you doing for people around the world this Christmas? That's why you should check out Compassion's cool opportunity called The Giving Tree. It's a simple way for your church to share the love of Christ with kids in need by decorating a tree with ornaments that represent a variety of gift options. People pick a gift and they give and they help release a child from poverty in Jesus' name. So check it out and sign up at Compassion.com slash Giving Tree slash carry. I'm going to say that one more time. Compassion.com slash Giving Tree slash C-A-R-E-Y. That is my name, Carrie. You can request a free ornament kit from the website, set up the tree in your lobby, and a lot of people in your church can help a lot of people around the world change their lives through their giving. So that's what we got for you uh, this week, and I am so excited to bring you my conversation all about Gen Z with the one and only Tim Elmore. Here we go. Tim, welcome back to the podcast. It's great to have you. Carrie, it's always good to be with you, and I so appreciate you talking to me more than more than once a year, so this is fun. <laughs> yeah, that was interesting, you know, because we, we, we try not to over-repeat guests, but when I saw your book, I'm like, oh, this, I've been waiting for someone to write this book, so... Mm. We're going to go there. So you got a brand new book with fresh research. It's called A New Kind of Diversity. And I feel like I've needed this book for a few years because I've been watching like everybody else, millennials getting older, myself getting older, Gen Z coming out of high school, out of college, into the workplace. And you argue that the generation gap, I take it that's what you mean by the new kind of diversity, age diversity. Yeah. Yeah, right, right. So um, you argued the generation gap at work, and I would say even in life between our families and that kind of thing, is getting wider, not narrower. How and why yeah. is that the case, Tim? 
Well, I think there's a number of reasons, Carrie, uh, a perfect storm of reasons, not the least of which is new technology that's released when a generation is growing up creates a whole new mindset. You know, TikTok is mostly adapted uh, by young people first, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But um, here's what I, my, my biggest theory in one of the chapters of the book is the gap between generations became wider as the screens in our life went from public to private. Now, here's what I mean by that. When I was growing up, and that was many, many, many moons ago, we had one screen in our house. It was a black and white television back in the 1960s. And we all gathered around the one screen and watched something together. We call it a program. We don't call it a program anymore. I Love Lucy, Dick Van Dyke, Andrew Griffith. We'd all laugh together and talk about it afterwards. Then, as time went forward... We all we had many TVs, or at least more than one TV, where the teenagers watched their show and the adults watched their show. And as screens evolved, uh, we now have a portable device in our hand, and it's a private screen where I may have, well, I'll just be honest, I'm on certain platforms that my kids aren't on. My daughter may be on an Instagram account that I know about, but I have no idea about the five Finsta accounts, fake Instagram accounts, where there's several personas. So I just feel like we get niched. We're in niches today where we can have a very, very different experience than the people ahead of us and behind us. I was just listening to one of Malcolm Gladwell's Revisionist History podcast episodes, uh, and uh, the title came to me. He's a previous guest, but it's the episode When Will Met Grace. And yeah. what was really interesting about what Malcolm argued then, and Malcolm is, I think, either around our age or, you know, he's yeah. maybe just barely a boomer, that kind of thing. I think he's a couple of years yeah. older than me. I'm, I'm barely Gen X. I'm 65. I'm not yeah. 65. 1965. Yeah. Yes, which makes me yeah. 57. But he talked about Gunsmoke and how there was one screen and how if you had the number one show on TV in the 60s, and I remember Gunsmoke in reruns in the 70s, yeah. but yeah. I don't remember it in the first run. Um, yeah. He said, you would have 40% of America tuning into your show. Yeah. And when Will Met Grace came on in the late 90s, they had a 14% share, 14 shares. Wow. So about 14% yeah. of Americans watched Will and Grace. But now if you have a Netflix show, even Netflix, which is still arguably on a big screen, if depending on how you're watching it, um, that might get a 1% share. And it's the fractionalization of an audience. So you could, you really had a national dialogue before because yeah. everybody yeah. watched Seinfeld, everybody watched Cheers, yes. everyone watched yeah. Gunsmoke, everybody watched whatever, Will and Grace. And he said that was the last show to really have a widespread audience. And now... It's just all fractionalized, but you're arguing that's also happening to the way we approach life, the way we see the world, um, generational differences, that it's private, small, and fractionalized. Yeah. No doubt about it. And I don't think anybody planned this. I think it's a perfect storm of elements, but we are now the, dare I say, victims of this niche society where there may be four or five generations working together at a business or a nonprofit or a church or whatever, and we're not quite sure we can't get along or see things the same way. And then we just find ourselves in the niche with more comfortable people that talk like we do, think like we do, vote like we do. And I just don't think that's bringing out the best version of ourselves. So I, this book is meant to be an encyclopedia for people to have reference to why so-and-so thinks the way they do and maybe how to better connect with them and, and lead them. Yeah, it is really a reference book. I'm keeping mine on the shelf. So thank you, publisher and Tim. For Actually, it was from you. There was a nice little note, hand-signed note inside. I'm definitely keeping my book. It's called A New Kind of Diversity. But uh, what I really appreciate is how you point out the frustration, like the pain points that this is a leadership podcast. So you think about the, the pain points that leaders have in trying to navigate this in our lives. But I really want to double down on work. Like this is getting really complicated when you've got some boomers on staff, Gen X on yeah. staff, millennials on staff, Gen Z on staff now. Yeah. And these are people you're trying to recruit as volunteers. These are people you're trying to minister to. These are people you're trying to hire. Where do the frustrations show up? Like how in everyday life would you say, oh yeah, that's a generational tension? Because I think it's yeah. showing up and people don't even know what it is, Tim. Yeah, no doubt. That's that's why I call it a new like kind of Like that person's lazy. Or that yeah, person's that's demanding, right. right? Yeah. Well, Carrie, what we're what we're culprits at doing is stereotyping. 
If we think just a little bit about something, we stereotype. And my definition of a stereotype, it's a mental shortcut that is not helpful. Uh, so we start saying things like, well, all builders are, you know, antiquated. All baby boomers are stubborn. All Gen Xers are skeptical. All millennials are narcissistic. And then don't we say this? All Gen Zers are fragile snowflakes. We have heard yeah. that, haven't we? You know? And I'm going, that is not true. And we know better. But um, here's what's interesting to me, Carrie. The term generation gap is actually almost 60 years old. John Poppy, a magazine editor, coined the phrase, when the baby boomers were the young whippersnappers coming up. And he saw this big gap between those zany baby boomers who were protesting and burning bras and flags and buildings and everything else. And now today, if we thought it was bad then, Carrie, I bet you've seen this because you're on social media. If you follow social media, most platforms, you saw this mean-spirited generational thing start at uh, hashtag how to confuse a millennial where boomers were, you know, putting up posts like they don't know how to read yeah. a phone book or they don't know how to, you know, use a payphone or whatever. I don't know. But then the then the millennials shot right back, okay, boomer. You know, okay, boomer was a huge hashtag. And then okay, Karen, where Gen Z was poking fun at Xers and, you know, everybody's a Karen now asking for the manager in the restaurant and intruding on the principal at the high school. You know, just zany things. But then, Carrie, it got really mean-spirited. I don't know if you saw this, but about a year ago, there was a hashtag boomer remover and it was a reference to COVID-19. No, yeah. Oh. Boomers were dying from COVID and millennials were saying, Hey, get out of here. Boomer remover. And I'm going, Oh my gosh, what are we yeah, doing? That's... Yeah. It's a little too much. So my hope in this, in this resource is to say there is something to be gained from every generation as cliche as that sounds. And we need to find that out. Instead of stereotyping, we need to understand. And when we understand, we start seeing the value. So can I tell a quick story? I think this might be fodder for great conversation. So in answer to your question on why is it frustrating, I remember reading about Tony, and I put this in the book. Tony was a college student at Ohio University just a couple of years ago. He had a part-time job as a college student working at a major paint retailer, paint brand that we would all know about. One day, he starts videotaping himself mixing paint colors and putting blueberries in white paint and creating a vivid shade of blue or whatever. And he starts videotaping it and posting it on TikTok. Well, he goes viral. Next thing he knows, Tony's got 1.4 million followers on TikTok, 37 million views. And so he thought, well, my gosh, this could be a tool for marketing our company. This could be monetized. So he puts a slide deck together, asks the management if he could come and present how this might be a, a whole new tribe that they could you know, gather. Well, Tony did not get one executive at this paint brand interested in his little presentation. Didn't get one pair of eyes looking at a slide deck. Tony did get something he didn't expect. He was fired. Yeah, he was fired because they thought he was doing this on company time. He was probably distracting to the customers. He was probably stealing the paint. Now, is that not, pardon me, I'm a baby boomer, so I can say this. Is that not a boomer? That's an old school, you're probably stealing it from a son, you know? Mm -hmm. And of course, Tony wasn't stealing. He wasn't doing it on company time. They could not see through his lens. What could have happened if had they been able to listen to this young person and say, you may have something we would have never found ourselves. So get this, Tony's fired, moved to Florida from Ohio, now has 2 million followers, set up his own paint store. Tony's doing fine and they lost out. There is one illustration of how they could have benefited, but they just wouldn't because they were just a bit stubborn. So I'd love to walk through the five generations alive right now. Just give okay. us a frame of reference for all five. Um, and so occasionally, not very often, but like the silent generation, they're yeah. still in the workforce from time to time. Yeah, some, yeah, sometimes they are. So Carrie, to be honest with you, there's seven generations alive, five that may still be working together. So the seven generations that are alive would be the senior generation, those that Tom Brokaw called the greatest generation. They fought in World War II, those civil people that were civil servants, that sort of thing. My Uncle Gene and Aunt Wanda are age 99 and 97. They're part of the senior generation. 
And by the, the way, the queen would be part of that. That's, that's exactly the former right. Yeah, that's queen exactly right. Yeah. 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 And by the way, my uncle Gene is God still driving a Winnebago in Southern California. <laughs> Scare, scares the bejeebies out of me. <laughs> so next comes the builder generation, the silent generation that you referred to. They're definitely past retirement age, but they might still be in the workplace. They might still be doing maintenance or lawn care or, you know, just don't want to leave their job because they love their job. They might be 80 years old and still doing something, you know? And, and Or the founder and the way, who has the corner office and comes in five hours a week or that kind of thing. That's yeah. exactly right. They could be anywhere on the, on the corporate ladder, but they're just people that love work and they don't want to go away. And then there's the baby boomers. We all heard about them forever. Uh, I am one of them. So the baby boomers are called baby boomers because nine months after World War II was over, the maternity wards filled up. It was a boom of babies. 76.4 million born in America. And I don't, I don't know how many in Canada, Carrie, but uh, just a lot of folks. Yeah, lots and lots of babies. And what are the dates for that? 46 to 64? 1946 yeah, 46 to 64. To 64. It began with the end of World War II and ended with the public introduction of the birth control pill. So oh. following the baby boomers come the baby busters or Gen X. That would be you guys. You're the very beginning of Gen X, I believe. Just the beginning. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I think X generation is what stuck as a title for you guys because you didn't want to be called anything. But baby buster was the first title you were given because it was a bust, not a boom. If you take the birth control pill, a contraceptive, and then you take Roe v. Wade, at least in the United States, you have a shrinking population, not a booming population. And that and I remember really being in college. The seminal book was Douglas Copeland's, uh, yes. I forget the title. What was that? But uh, anyway, it was, I read it. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, Reality Bites. No, no, that was. No, the one that before was, that. Yeah. Life oh, After gosh. God. Life After God, uh, yes. Douglas Copeland. Yes, yeah. yeah. And I remember reading that when I was an undergrad and uh, we were already resenting the boomers. They had taken all yeah. of our jobs. Yeah. The economy yeah. wasn't very good. It was like, we don't want to live that way. We don't want, yeah. if anybody's old enough, they'll remember the yuppie lifestyle. And yeah. I remember me and my friends were already like, yeah, that's definitely not us. But we yeah. didn't know what we were. And Copeland... Yeah. Who I think is a Canadian from Vancouver. Yeah, yeah he kind yeah. of captured the imagination of that generation. So that was what 65, 1965 to 19, eighty-two. What? Some social scientists yeah. end them at different dates, but I think eighty, eighty-two, like right the beginning of the eighties is when that generation uh, stopped, uh, stopped being born. Anyway, yeah, and then the millennials came along. So Gen Y, following Gen X, the millennials were basically the people born in the eighties and nineties. Um, that that uh, new generation came along when our view of children as a society shifted. So you probably know this, Carrie, but your generation, Gen X, were latchkey kids very often, not all the time, but very often. Mm -hmm. You know, both parents were working or uh, the parents were divorced. And so a kid might have come home from school and just was alone, you know, at doing his homework or her homework and figuring it out on their own. X was a generation that figured it out on their own. Well, in the 80s, parenting styles shifted. It started with um, Adam Walsh, this little kid that was abducted and later found dead. His parents absolutely started a movement of we must take care of our children. So you saw the pictures of children on milk cartons, you know, uh, of, that were missing or abducted. Remember that? And we all got scared. Now. As we poured, yeah, yeah, we poured the milk on our Cheerios and got scared for our own children and and baby on board signs in the back of the minivan, uh, diaper changing tables in the public restrooms. We were screaming to each other, children are everything. And you know what happened? Bunch of millennials were born, 80 million millennials in the United States. Again, not sure how many in Canada, but there was a different narrative as these millennials were born. And they grew up with lots of confidence because like the boomers, they were large as a generation, and they were cared for. I mean, we gave them trophies just for participation. Remember this trend? Oh, yeah. So anyway, whole different it's mindset. It's funny, you know, you're, you're reminding me, I'm old enough to remember not wearing seatbelts and barely having yes. seatbelts in cars. And now, yeah. you know, a generation later, we're at baby on board and yeah. cautious. Yeah. And there were even oh child gosh. leashes for a while. Yes. Remember that? Yeah, I we do. We never did that. But our kids are were born in the '90s, but we never put them on a leash. But that was that was a thing, and it's like really uh -huh. okay. Yeah, I know it was a whole different. The narrative of society was 
we need to keep these kids safe, high self-esteem, and uh, safety status and high self-esteem. That was the big three that parents seemed to raise their children by, whether they knew it or not. Uh, so anyway, that was the millennials. Then Gen Z comes along, and as you just said, they're now entering the workforce. They're the kids that have grown up in the first several years of the 21st century, and they really only remember the 21st century. So think about what their narrative might be. It started with um, the dot-com era bubble bursting, uh, September 11th, uh, 2001, at least in the United States. That was a big deal for us. Mm. Oh, it was we huge thought, all over. And most of our yeah. listeners are American anyway. So. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So, and then that really, that ushered in a whole new day of terrorism. Terrorism happened before then, but it was like a daily occurrence, at least in the mindsets of people. Somewhere, somehow, somebody's getting shot or bombed every day, it felt like. Uh, and then you had the smartphone coming along, which has been wonderful and terrible. I think we'd all agree. Um, but we just got anxious. By the time we got a smartphone in our hand, anxiety and mental health issues became big. Uh, it was just, So I won't go into everything, but Gen Z is, has a different mindset than the millennials. And we can't just expect them to be a continuation of that millennial generation. And, and how then do you one date last, Gen Z? What are, what are the years? <clears throat> I date them right at the turn of the century, so 2001 to 2015. And the reason I stopped them at 2015 is at least for us in the United States, I think mostly in, in, in North America as a whole, the, the narrative began to shift again. In 2016, we just became polarized as a, as a country, not everywhere in the world, but at least where I live, it was, you're either red or you're blue. It's black or white. I hate you. I love you. It, it Nothing in the middle. Um, and you remember when we talked about the paradoxes in, in the last conversation we had, we said, no, it's not an either or world in every case. It's a both and sometimes. But, uh, oh my gosh. So the alpha generation are the youngest children being measured today, born 2016 onward till about 2028. Uh, but we don't know when they're going to end because there's, there's usually a marker in culture or in history that reshapes a, a, a new demographic that comes along afterwards. So sorry for that yeah. long answer to a short question, but that, no, but that's that would good. be the that's, seven. That's super helpful. So it's interesting. You got a whole chart in the book. You've got a, a shorter version, an article, and we'll put all the links in the show notes. But each, uh, let's focus on the five generations still contributing to the workforce yeah. for the purposes of this podcast. So can you walk us through the what you call the life paradigm for each generation and what it yeah. means, because I thought that was really interesting. And then also outline for us the attitude for authority. So mm. you might you might want to do each in turn. So, you know, okay. maybe starting with the builder of the silent generation. What okay. was their life paradigm? What was their attitude toward authority? Because it morphs significantly and it really resonated with me the way you described it. Yeah, it was very interesting to interview people from each of these generations and see a pattern or a ribbon that was woven throughout the generation in their mindsets. So for the builder generation or silent generation, I gave them as they entered their careers, the life paradigm, just be grateful you got a job. Uh, my mom and dad are both part of this generation. And my dad said that to me clear into the 21st century. You know, I said, dad, I started the company. Well, just be grateful you have that job. You know, that sort of thing. It was <laughs> so funny, you know, and I, I love that, that he carried a waste not, want not attitude clear into the 21st century. But it was the Great Depression in World War II that shaped his early years. Mm -hmm. Now, his attitude toward authority, respect them. They taught me respect all authority. You respect the police. That's a newbie today. You respect the president. Even if you didn't vote for him, you respect him. That was, that was the attitude toward authority. So mm -hmm. the baby boomers come along, and I gave the baby boomers a life paradigm. I deserve better because boomers felt entitled to a better life than mom and dad had. Um, I have boomers get mad at me when I say this because they we weren't entitled. Oh, yes, we were. <laughs> if you look at the data in the 50s and 60s. Yes, you were. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's so funny. All you, have, all you have to do is look at the data and go, oh, my gosh, we were a miserable, selfish bunch of people. Uh, but um, we felt entitled to a life that was better because it was not a time of depression. It was a time of expansion. You know, shopping malls were popping up. McDonald's was franchising. So that was the feel. Now, the attitude toward authority for the boomers, um, it was replace them. We were so feeling large and in charge, we just thought we'd take over as soon as we can, you know, and, and we kind of did. So mm -hmm. different mindset. 
Now, um, you just stop me whenever you want to, Carrie. But um, no, keep going. This is this okay. is gold. M- moving on to the Xers or the Baby Busters, I gave them the life paradigm as they entered their career. So not today. You guys are in midlife and beyond. But when they entered their 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 careers from as they move from backpack to briefcase, I gave them the life paradigm. Um, keep it real. In fact, that was even a phrase that became a thing when you all were growing up in the 60s mm-hmm. and 70s. Mm-hmm. It was like, don't tell me life is wonderful. It's not wonderful. So the Vietnam War was going on and we were watching it on TV at six o'clock at the news and it was not going well. And then we, in America, we had the Watergate scandal. Now you had a Democrat and a Republican both lying from the White House there was a very real wall that went up in the minds and hearts of American adults that said, I'm not going to blindly trust a leader. And even though Xers were just children back then, they looked up at the grownups that were a little skeptical. Your generation grew up a little more cynical yourself, you know? And mm-hmm. don't tell me it's awesome. It's not awesome. You know, that that very jaded kind of, kind of cynical uh, mantra. Yeah, uh, that definitely has followed me through my life. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? So attitude toward authority, again, not now, perhaps, because you are mostly in leadership now or management positions, but Mm -hmm. as you began your career, it was endure them. We got to put up with these idiots, you know? So let's go get a Starbucks, you know, that sort of thing. So that was was the exercise. Okay, the millennials, very interesting. Remember the millennials, by the way, this might be interesting for your listeners. If you look at the populations of each, it's it's hills and valleys, hills and valleys. So the the builder generation was a smaller population because people felt like they couldn't afford kids back in the depression. Baby boomers, larger generation. Gen Xers, birth control pill, Roe v. Wade, smaller generation. Millennials are now the largest generation in American history, 80 million strong. And with immigration, which is the wild card, they may grow as large as 100 million strong. So they're young professionals but they are large and in charge. So, uh, and then Gen Z, the birth rate, the fertility rate's down again. And the mm-hmm. pandemic didn't help. People said, we can't afford another mouth to feed. Look at this thing. I don't even know if I'm have a job in 2021 or 2022. So isn't that weird how it just hills and valleys, mm-hmm. hills and valleys, hills and valleys. Um, so back to the millennials. Carrie, the life paradigm I gave to the millennials as I interviewed one after the other was life is a cafeteria. Now, let me, ex- let me explain. In the same way that you go to a cafeteria and you grab a tray and a plate and you go down the line and you make up your own meal tailored for your taste buds, these young adults are making nearly every major decision of their life as if it were one large buffet. So here's a couple of examples. My two kids are both millennials. Bethany, my daughter, is 34. Jonathan, my son, is 30. They stopped buying compact discs to get their music years ago. I mean, why would they buy a CD? There might be six songs mm-hmm. I don't even like, right? Right? So they get one song at a time and they form their own playlist on Spotify or iTunes. You know, it's a buffet, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, they make educational decisions this way. They graduate from high school and get go to three different colleges for one degree. I'm kind of tailoring my post-secondary experience here. Uh, and by the way, many of your listeners may be interested in this. I definitely am. They make spiritual decisions this way. A little bit of Jesus, a little bit of Buddha, a little bit of Oprah Winfrey, shake it together. I've made up my own faith. You know, there's no one truth source, but this God really likes me. So very, very much like a free agent, you know, picking and choosing. Um, There's quiet quitting. There's the great resignation. All this stuff is going on. And it's not always millennials, but uh, they're at the the top of I'm picking and choosing my experience. So we need to- what's the attitude toward authority for millennials? Attitude, attitude toward authority for millennials is choose them. Because remember, life's a cafeteria. So here's an illustration. I was on a major state university campus, not uh, I guess about 12 years ago when the millennials were there. And it was not uncommon for me to hear one of the undergrads say to me, well, Dr. Tim, yeah, he's my professor, but he's not my mentor. And what they meant by that is I have to take this class, but I'm choosing the people that I let invest in me. They felt agency, you know, that there's a sense of agency in the millennial generation that we just need to, we can't get mad at. We need to get busy about and say, all right, how do we leverage this in a wonderful way? So now Gen Z, last one. Um, Did you want to jump in? I'm sorry. Nope, nope. Let's go to Gen Z. 
Gen Z, um, I believe their attitude toward authority, excuse me, their life paradigm as they begin their career. And if you think about the last two or three years, it's no wonder this is the mantra that they might quietly whisper, but not too loud. I'm coping and hoping. So mental health is a huge issue, and they're bringing it with them into the workplace from the school campus. Um, and the coping isn't always coping skills. It might be coping mechanisms, you know, where they're just mm. binging on a video game. That's how they get through the day. And I don't mean to stereotype. Please forgive me. I love this generation. I think Gen Z mm. may be the greatest generation we ever see because they're going out with a smartphone, mm. a tool that enables them to change the world. But right now, it's just a very, they're still hopeful. That's why I say coping and hoping because they're young, but it's very much a a coping thing. And then Carrie, their attitude toward authority, (laughs) because they did grow up with a smartphone, not just a cell phone in their hand. I wonder if they were honest with us today, their attitude toward authority would be, not sure I need them. You know, Mm. kids are asking Google questions that kids used to ask mom and dad. You know, it's like, I could just, thank you, Siri, Alexa, and Google. I'm now taking, you know, I talked to a dad recently that said, I'm not having the same conversations with my teenagers that I had with my dad when I was a teenager. Well, you can thank Google, Siri, and Alexa for that. So anyway, that that would be the end. Gen Z is not sure they need authority. I thought that was really interesting. Like, is that like an individualistic, I'm going to figure this out myself? Yeah, very much. So if you think about it, millennials learned in teams. They played soccer in teams, did school projects in teams. Gen Z has been conditioned, mostly thanks to a pandemic, to learn individually on screens. So yeah, they're figuring it out, hacking their way through their life. Hacking is not just a technology term anymore. They're figuring, they get behind the system and figure out how it works. And I love this about them as long as we can build some moral, a moral compass inside because right now they're able to do things that we not, may not ethically be, should be doing, but it's it's all possible now. What are some of the other characteristics of Generation Z? Because I think yeah. this is the most mysterious to most listeners yes. of this. It's like, yeah, we have a pretty good handle on the other generations, but I really want to drill down on yeah. Gen Z. So what are, what are you seeing as some other characteristics of well, people from the age of, I guess, seven or eight or whatever, right through to 21, 22. Yeah, yeah. So um, for listeners, for you to wrap your arms around this easily, if you're driving in your car and you can't write it down, let me give you two big words that are the two most, um, two biggest uh, realities for Gen Z. High agency and high anxiety. So they have a high sense of agency, much like the millennials, but it's even more so because they have this portable device in their hand that gives them influence. They are monetizing it. There are Gen Z influencers on social media that are making money off of their phone. You know, it's it's crazy. So high agency, but then high anxiety. Um, I remember uh, I remember reading this at the turn of the century as Gen Z began to be born. The average teenager in North America experiences the same level of anxiety as a psychiatric patient did in the 1950s. Isn't that crazy uh, to just, I know it is. So those would be two biggies, but let me just rattle off real fast. I'll be quick, but this might, this is helpful to me as, as we hire Gen Zers. So um, confidence has morphed into caution. Uh, the world is very uncertain right now. Uh, I would say- so they're not particularly confident. Correct. They they act like they're confident. There's a veneer of confidence, but it often crumbles quickly. We're finding as we as we do surveys, because they're you know it's just a very uncertain world. It's it's um, ambiguous, uncertain, complex. So they're very aware that they. I talked to one high school senior recently, Carrie, that said, "Doctor Tim, I'm afraid to dream," mm. and that saddened me because don't high school seniors have a bunch of dreams. You know, I'm going to take over the world, you know? Well, they're looking at the future and they're going, who knows what's going to happen in three years or five years or whatever. So there's a bit of a, a bit of caution. And I want to point out, Gen Z's learn from their millennial counterparts. So the millennials entered the workplace with lots of confidence because, you know, they've been told they were awesome for putting the fork in the dishwasher, you know, and, and they were given participation trophies and everything else. 
So they're going, ah, don't, don't want that to happen to me. So they're going in a little more pra- pragmatic. I would say idealism is morphing into pragmatism. Um, oh, but here's some good news. Let me give you a couple of good news. Spending money is morphing into saving money. They're much better at saving than their millennial counterparts at their age. There is the argument that that Gen Z is a entrepreneurial generation. Yeah. That yes. they're into business. They're not afraid to make money. Yep. Um, that they're savers. They see the mess that yeah. you know some of their parents have had financially. Yeah. I mean, the number of 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 senior citizens going into retirement with a mortgage now is staggering. Yeah. It's scary. Yeah. And Gen Z has definitely learned from us. So Carrie, this is really good news. You just mentioned entrepreneurial spirit. 72% of public high school students plan to be an entrepreneur. They want to start something, not just join something. So I would say workplace employers, how could you create an environment that feels entrepreneurial, that feels like a gig economy? Maybe you have a gig economy within your workplace. Mm-hmm. They're starting this and starting that. And yeah, they're going to make mistakes. But I tell you what, if you want to keep them, let them, let them be a part of starting something. I, I just think that's going to be key. Yeah. Is that somehow related? This is just a random question. This could be totally wrong. Is that somehow related to the fractionalization that we started with in this conversation? In other words, we're not all off a common narrative anymore. We're not watching the same shows. We're not watching the same, reading the same books. Um, so is it that, oh, I don't have to do their thing. I can do my thing because it's a highly individualized world. Yeah, I think so. I, there are probably more okay. factors than that, but I really think you're spot on. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. You use the acronym and and if, if it's um, <clears throat> too much to get into, that's okay. But foreign. That Gen yeah. Z is F-O-R-E-I-G-N. Can you walk us a little bit through that framework if you think it'll be helpful for us yeah. understanding Gen Z? I do. I think if you're working next to a young person or hiring young people, uh, this acronym FOREIGN, you, you already know they feel a little foreign as we, yeah. as we try to work with them. So the letter F reminds us they're fluid. They definitely have a fluid sense of identity. Their gender preferences are fluid and changing. One nationwide survey in the United States uh, showed less than 48% found they were truly heterosexual, which means about half would wow. say, I'm not quite sure what I am. But that's just weird for us who are older. That's just very different. The letter O, they're overwhelmed. The number one word that university students use to describe their life is the word overwhelmed. 94% say I'm overwhelmed. And almost half say I'm so overwhelmed it's difficult to function. Yeah. Do we know the sources of that? Like in what ways are they overwhelmed? Yeah. Well, think about it. The options you and I had coming out of college were way fewer, right? Today, it's overwhelming. I mean, it's wonderfully overwhelming, but who knows what I should do? And I think they experience not only FOMO, fear of missing out, they experience FOMU, F-O-M-U, fear of messing up. I hear this from high school students all the time. I'm so afraid of making a mistake. So you might get paralyzed making a decision because what if it's the wrong one? So it's just, I think we need to have compassion on our kids. You have young adult children. I do too. We need to have compassion on them. It's just an overwhelming world. And the smartphone, please forgive me if I sound like your grandpa, did not help us in this sense. Um, If you spend two hours or more, actually, let me say that this might be a helpful handle. If you spend more than two hours a day on social media, you are measurably more vulnerable to anxiety and depression. That two-hour mark Mm. is where it just begins to be measurable. So I would say, tell your kids, listeners, you might want to just cut back on it. You don't need to scroll through this four, five, six hours a day. So so that's the letter. This was in the scope of your research, but is Gen Z the most active on social media and the most active on their phones, or are they clawing back on that too? Because they're pretty retro. Like if you look at fashion, they've gone back, not forward, which is interesting. Yeah. Where are they on technology? It's a great question and I'm going to have to guesstimate. So it's an educated guess, but it's a guess. So um, I think percentage wise, yes. I think there are more Gen Zers on social media because it's been a part of their life from the very beginning. But remember, the millennials and boomers are bigger generations, so it might be the number of millennials on might be might be higher. But um, so I really do believe um, there's some good news to this, though. There's more and more Gen Zers that are retro, and and I hear many of them going, you know what, I'm getting off social media, and it's on their own volition. They're choosing; they don't like what it does to their head. 
and uh, the comparison trap and the, you know, all that's going on. So I, I take, I take courage in that. So, all right. So the letter R in foreign reinvention, they, they would say, if they were honest with us, incremental change is not good enough. If you say you're going to make the church service better, or you say you're going to make, you know, the company better, don't just make it, give me a facelift, give me an overhaul. So one of the reasons we saw protests, and many of the protesters were young adults, weren't they? Mm-hmm. Um, they were saying, you guys made a mess. We need to reinvent this thing. So defund the police while you and I might go, what in the world is that? They're going, you know what? Your system's not working. And it's their perception. I'm not saying listeners, you have to agree with them, but that's why they think the way they do. They look at us, Karen, and go, what are you guys doing? And what are you failing, you know? So I, I you know, I just, ugh. So reinvention, the letter E, entrepreneurial, we've already talked about that. There's a great entrepreneurial spirit that we need to capitalize on as they move from school to, to work. Um, what's next? E, I, oh, I is independent. So yes, so while millennials learned in teams, they are very, very used to being independent. But Carrie, for employers, let me just say this. They're testing right now, this moment, wanting to come back to the office not not work virtually. They're so longing for face-to-face interaction that even though they're not brilliant at it, they're, maybe their emotional intelligence isn't extremely high because they are screenagers, um, they really do want to be back with people. And I, I, I just am hopeful that we can safely come back and uh, just allow them to interact Face to face, we need each other this way. That's my opinion. Yeah, if we could, if we could uh, camp there for a minute, yeah, I wanted, sure. I wanted to get to that because I saw in your book that it seems like Gen Z isn't into virtual work nearly as much as millennials or Gen um, X would be. Is that early data? Do you think that's a reaction to the pandemic, or do you think because they're they're you know the old phrase was high tech, high touch. Is it, is it a bit of that? Like I'm on my phone, but I want to be in the room with you or, or what's going on? Because what I'm reading in the, in the Wall Street Journal or the Harvard Business Review, there's a huge push back against going to the office to this minute. And I'm just wondering, is that a temporary thing or do we even know? Again, they're in their early 20s. Yeah. yeah. The, the cement is wet. Yeah, but it is. But there's, there's an indication. And I, you know, I know in our church, it's just a tiny, you know, sample of a, a much, you know, the students are back way before the adults are back. Yeah. Yeah. Is it sort of I like think, that? Like what, what's going on? I think so. I, I think in the workplace, Gen Z would say, you Xers and boomers have spent years building social capital and we don't have that yet. So we want to be building. And it's hard to do that with an hour meeting on a screen, you know, where I'm, you know what I'm saying? It's, I think they yeah. know they've got to build some stuff that needs to be face-to-face. And of course, the pandemic made them say, I long to be back in class in person or at work in person. And I don't blame them at all. Yeah. Well, and it's a 10th of their life. If you think about this, yes, right? right? If you're 22, the pandemic, the shutdown was yeah. one tenth of your human existence. Whereas for you and me, it was a blip on the radar, right? It's like, yeah, no a doubt. big blip, but yeah. It's like, yeah, we we have way more memory outside the pandemic than we do inside the pandemic. No so doubt. that'll be interesting to to look at that trend long term. So foreign, that was I independent. Okay, What's yep. G and N? What are G and N? G is geek. Now I know that's an old fashioned term, but they are they are just tech wizards. Um, there are exceptions, of course, but they are so at home with smart technology. In fact, we often look to them, do we not? Um, this is where reverse mentoring can be very helpful. Um, <laughs> I, I have a friend that told me one of his Gen Z employees said, with a smile, said to him, I cannot figure out how you can be so wise and so clueless at the same time. And isn't that <laughs> us? Isn't that us, Carrie? We're wise and clueless yeah. because it depends on the category. So they are depends geeks. Depends on the boy. category. Yeah. You got it. So Xanifa is in the room with me. You met her earlier. She uh-huh. is so much smarter than I am in so many categories. And you know what my job is with her? Be secure enough to let her use her gift and be my teacher when it comes to these categories. So um, that's that's the G. Then the letter N, networked. They are connected tw- not only 24-7, they really are, but globally. They are a global population. They may be playing video games with somebody in the Philippines or Korea, you know, uh, at midnight tonight. So um, those those would be the markers that as we collated the data, that helps 
a parent, a leader, a, a pastor, a, an employer, just figure out who this young employee might be coming through the doors. And they're much more diverse, right? It's yeah, the most yeah. uh, ethnically, racially diverse generation in yeah. history, even in America. It's not necessarily just a white generation. It's Correct. very diverse. Um, let's go back to fluid. So okay. gender fluidity, what was that stat? How many percent, what percentage think they, they're probably heterosexual? It was a minority, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was 48% nationwide survey in the United States. So that means a little less than half was willing to declare I'm a male or female. The others, that would be 52%, would say I'm somewhere mixed by uh, maybe gay, maybe LGBTQ, somewhere in there, and, and it may be changing. That's another thing. They may feel one way at 14, and it's different at 18. So um, here's what I struggle with on this. this. I don't think this is my age. I think it's my research. I believe what makes for a very healthy human being is congruency. Uh, whatever you are, be congruent, have integrity. Don't be waffling back and forth. And I, I know that they would say, I wish I wasn't, but I feel like I am. But I think as parents, teachers, leaders, we've got to help them find a sense of congruency and sameness and 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 uh, integrity in their life. I just think that that makes us the best version of ourselves. In what other ways is uh, our Gen Z fluid? Well, I think in career choice. So um, I had an employer recently say the corporate ladder has become the corporate lily pad. You know, so they're hopping around, <laughs> you know, so True. they're fluid and they may have six jobs in their 20s. Um, and it is called the gig economy now. So again, I go back to that comment I made earlier. Could we create some gigs within the workplace? Maybe even at a church, Carrie. There's different jobs that come and go, projects where they don't get bored working the same one over and over and over and over. Maybe there is. What is that? What is the, what is the craving for um, variety. Yeah. Cause I see yeah. it too. I'm, I'm not at all disagreeing with mm -hmm. you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing that may be predictable is uh, they do get bored quickly. So they are multitasking. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's yeah, true. Yeah, it's duh, true. Duh. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. Okay. How come I didn't think of that? Yeah, yeah. you're right. Of course they get bored quickly. Yeah. Oh, so geez. in the year yeah. 2000, uh, a teenager 22 years ago w had an attention span that was 12 seconds. And that didn't mean they couldn't pay attention longer. They might binge watch Game of Thrones on Netflix, but they would get distracted within 12 seconds if something wasn't very engaging. Today, it's eight seconds for a teenager. So um, that means they might get diverted or distracted quickly. So we need to be engaging as teachers. We need to be uh, knowing that they will get distracted quickly. They do multitask on five screens, not all at once, but mm. they've got five screens in their life. They've got a tablet, a computer, they've got a phone, they've got this, that, and the other. So um, I just feel like this is a reality that we can either get mad or we can get busy. I say we get busy. Yeah. So let's take this into practical terms in the workplace. Okay. So a lot of leaders listening to this podcast, whether they're working in business, working in the church, They've got multiple generations on their team. They do have a couple of boomers maybe hanging around. They've got um, Gen X, Millennials, and Gen Z. Yeah. It can feel impossible. Like when you look yeah. at the charts in your book, it's like, gosh, I got to manage this person this way, that person that way, this person yeah. another way. They yeah. all have different attitudes. Like I'm glad it's written kind of like a reference book, an encyclopedia, yeah. but what do you do with that? Because are you just catering to people? Like can't you have a unified vision and mission? Or do you really have to, because we've got the great resignation happening. Yeah. And yeah. I've been thinking in the last few years when I talk to my friends, it's the great reset. Everybody mm -hmm. has rethought everything. Don't want to live here. Yeah. Don't want to work here. Don't want to work here this way. Uh, yeah. Don't want to do this anymore. Want to do less of this, more of that. Everybody's reset. So yeah. how do you lead and manage in that kind of a reality? Yeah, it does feel like too much work. There's no doubt about it. Uh, yeah. You know, one of our habitude images is called chess and checkers. I think great leaders play chess with their people, knowing I have a bishop in front of me or a queen or a rook or a whatever, instead of a, just a checkers piece that looks alike. So it's more work, but I think it's worth it. Chess takes longer to play than checkers. Hello. And chess is harder to play than checkers, but I believe it's what we got to do. Here's what I've tried to do at Growing Leaders. And I don't think I'm brilliant, but I've noticed our department heads are doing this as well. We first have to build a relationship. 
and in the context of a relationship. And by the way, we should underscore that. Most people would listen and go, oh, yeah, yeah, I know them. When we survey Gen Z, they go, yeah, my teacher doesn't know me. She thinks she does. She doesn't. My dad, I had one kid. This is so sad. I had one kid, 18 years old, say, I think I got the wrong dad. Isn't that sad? And I'm thinking, I think it was because he felt like his dad didn't really know him or care to know him. And I thought, oh my gosh, we adults are so production oriented. We're not even stopping to say, let me really get to know you. So this is going to be crucial that we do this. But out of that context of relationship, Carrie, we need to communicate um, decision-making norms and communication norms. So when a Gen Zer comes on staff and wants to have a voice, which they do, we need to say, no, wait, 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 wait. You're not going to make a decision on this at 22. There's Here's some norms that we have, just, just letting you know. We're a family here. This is the family rules. Um, I think we need to communicate to them. This is how we communicate. Is it Slack? Is it text? Is it email? I think we get into trouble when we don't communicate the norms. So that would be step one. Here's a game that I think every leader ought to play or every parent ought to play. Ditch the niche. I call this ditch the niche. Remember how I talked about we're in niches all the time of our own kind and we're comfortable and we talk with people that think just like we do. We need to find people from different generations, older and younger, and say, tell me your superpower and I'll tell you my superpower. I think we're going to find complementary points of value that we can begin to trade and swap. And so it needs to start with swap your stories. You'll always find common ground if you're 58 and they're 22. But I'm telling you, we need to ditch the niche. And that means hard, harder conversations than if it was with our fellow Xers or boomers. Uh, let me just say that. So I think um, it's yeah. the third part of your book. You've got a whole section devoted to bridging the gap, which I think yeah. is helpful. But let's yeah. Let's talk about the contribution. What does what do all of yeah. the five current generations have to offer? And the other thing I would say is really encouraging because you know, as at the beginning of Gen X, I remember when I was twenty three, I had no use for anyone over thirty. Yeah, like, yeah, ah, yeah. Not talking to you, not hanging out with you. You don't know anything, and that that's arrogance, and that's all these things. But what blows me away, I've you know, I'll go for dinner with a couple in their twenties and. They're just so grateful to be with us. Yeah. And I've I've yeah. got three decades on them. Like they're yeah. younger than my kids. Yeah. And they're like, no, we want to learn. Our notebooks are open. And is that characteristic of millennials and Gen Z generally? Do you see that? If they feel like there's a safe relationship, absolutely. Hmm. Uh, so here's what the data shows. You know the Barna Research Group. Uh, oh, Barna yeah. revealed some data last year that I thought was very intriguing. They said the average Gen Z member does not trust traditional institutions, uh, government, business, uh, education, sadly, the church, sadly. But, uh, but they do trust an older person whom they know. So the relationship is key. So I don't like your institution, federal government, but I do trust you if you are older and you build a relationship with me. So that that's gonna that get back to that gets back to that that relationship. And Carrie, you obviously they feel like they're safe with you and 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 can talk with you. So I think that's gigantic. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm I'm seeing that all over the place when I connect with younger leaders, and that makes me very encouraged. I even see it in my kids. There's not as much ageism, although you do yeah. see the boomer remover yeah, hashtags yeah. and okay yeah. boomer and you see that kind of stuff. But it's good to know that on the personal level, I don't feel much of a generation gap, but yeah. I don't know, that could be me. It could be delusional. So uh, let's go through what each generation, just in a nutshell, has to offer. Like what, what does the silent, the builder generation bring? What do yeah. boomers, Gen X bring to each other? Yeah, great question. So just in a single line for each one, I think this may be predictable, but this, the, the builder silent generation that are very, very old now brings sage wisdom uh, with them and loyalty. Oh my gosh, they were a loyal generation. So boy, don't we miss that today. Wouldn't it be nice to see just a touch of loyalty here and there? Well, they bring it. Baby boomers, oh my gosh, stories and experience and life coaching. Uh, the boomers should be utilized by and large, with some exceptions, but by and large, as coaches to younger generations. They've been through similar experiences in the past, uh, uh, you know, with their four decades of experience on the job. So we need to take advantage of that. Gen X, 
I think Gen X brings pragmatic insights. Remember the pragmatism they brought and then contrarian points of view. I think Xers have always added that to the, to the, yeah, I got a contrarian point of view. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What if this went wrong? What if that went wrong? I don't like it, but I need it in my life because I'm always the idealist that thinks we're going to change the world by noon on Friday, you know? So I love that, uh, that your gen brings. Millennials, oh my gosh, they bring confidence and hope and idealism, and we need to not lose our sense of hope and ideals. And they're still young enough, and I hope they never lose it, to have that sense of confidence and hope. And then Gen Z, oh my goodness, entrepreneurial spirit. They bring a fresh set of eyes, just like any new generation has. And then I love the um, just the hacker mindset. They're going to figure out a way to get it done. Uh, Cam is a brand new team member. He just graduated from Michigan on our team. He is such a hacker. He just figures stuff out. And I go, man, you're just better than I am at this. But mm. Carrie, I want to go back to something. I don't think I'm brilliant, but one thing I do have is emotional security. I must be secure enough to say to young people, I love what you bring. It's better than what I have. I need what you bring. If we can do that, we may have something on our hands. Do you think millennials and Gen Z will continue to morph as they get older? Um, there is the argument, the boomers have characteristics, but now that they're in their yeah. 70s, yeah. they're doing yeah. a lot of stuff that 70-year-olds do. And yeah. Yeah. will it be the case that 15 years from now, when Gen Z is in their mid- late 30s, that they'll be buying houses, settling down, yeah. a little more status quo? Or do you think this is in their DNA? No, I think it's a little of both. So we are shaped in our early years. You mentioned the term wet cement a little bit ago. We huh. do develop wet cement. Easy to put your hand in a wet cement block of sidewalk. Hard, you got to get a jackhammer out after several weeks. But there is something about ageism that happens. So what we do know in history is we tend to become more conservative with time Okay, because you have more to conserve. You know, you got a mortgage and this bill and that bill, you know, yeah. three kids and, you know, so naturally you become more conservative and maybe vote, maybe more conservative, less progressive as you age. Uh, so that's one thing that does happen. Um, I do think that the millennials will probably follow the pattern of boomers. Carrie, do you remember way back, you would have been still very young when this book came out, but when the boomers were growing up, they left the church. And I remember a book that came out called The Baby Boomerang, The Baby Boomerang. And it was because the oh, boomers yeah, were okay. boomeranging yeah. back when they started families. Well, hello, uh-huh. they want their kiddos to have these values and they want honesty and, you know, of course they do. So I wonder if we're going to see a millennial boomerang maybe. Uh, so my hope is that as they get their sea legs and they decide who they are and, and, um, I don't know if that's a fair comment. Maybe they know who they are, but yeah. maybe there'll be a sense of, okay, I'm on steady ground now. I do want those, I do want those timeless virtues and values in my children as I as I raise a new generation. So a lot of leaders right now, particularly church leaders, lead volunteer organizations and they're really yeah. struggling. Yeah. Because volunteers have not snapped back after the pandemic. I think it is the great reset that we're in right now where everyone's questioning everything. How do these characteristics show up for different generations when you're leading volunteers, right? You mentioned loyalty with boomers. Yeah. There's a lot of churches right now where way they're very grateful they have boomer volunteers, but most of their volunteers are boomers because they're loyal and yeah. they can't get the next generations engaged anymore. Yeah. So my my thought is that we keep them only when we add value and they can see it's more valuable to stay than when I go. So they could go on. The grass could be greener on the other side, but I think it's greener where you water it. <laughs> and if so, if I can water the grass here, maybe providing personal growth opportunities, professional development opportunities, uh, gig economies within the the team that I lead here or the volunteers that I lead here where they do a project and then they're done. It's more of an agile team than it is a forever, never, 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 never team. Mm. I think that's going to be key. Um, we try to, uh, in our workplace, we try to have um, a lot more autonomy. So we, uh, Carrie, this may seem crazy to you, but we give unlimited PTO to our team. Yeah. We so, just started that a year or two ago. 
Did yeah, you? Unlimited yeah. personal time off. Mm-hmm. It's paid off greatly where we are. Here's what it's done. Well, number one, we hire very responsible people. So you don't just say that to anybody. They go, great, I'm on vacation for 364 Where's days. My pay- you know? Where's my paycheck? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we hire very responsible people that don't want to let their teammates down along the way, which is important. But then we say, we trust you. This is This screams trust. And right now, Gen needs Gen Z needs to hear from the older generation. I trust you. Uh, I believe in you, and I trust you. So that's huge. I think uh, we do give personal development time every Thursday at one o'clock. It's growth time for our team. We get together and we try to do something that's going to grow them as people. Um, yeah. So those are just uh, I think some things that maybe a volunteer organization you can add value that's not money but it's meaning. Think of it this way: meaning may be the new money. Uh, so if we can do that with volunteers, we may have something they'll grasp onto. Well, and it's more than stand here and fill, fill a slot. I think that's yeah, what's right. really helpful. Do you think that, because we, we've argued this over the years about millennials, is it even the same or more true with Gen Z? Um, the whole cause of mission, as you pointed out during the demonstrations of 2020 and beyond, or even if it's things like climate change, It's Gen Z that seems to be the most passionate about it. They're the ones on the street. So it's not like, I'll never leave my phone behind. I'll never leave my house. They're willing to go, but there has to be a big cause or a big thing. And, you know, serving an institution because there's a need maybe isn't a compelling enough cause. Do you want to comment on that a little bit? Absolutely. I think Generation Z members want to be a part of something that's very important and almost impossible. Ooh, very important and almost impossible. So it has to really feel like we're going to move the needle when we do it. And some people think we can't even do it. So I think, in fact, Carrie, that may be every young generation, you know, over the last 50 years. But but I really believe if we can offer something that seems very important, almost impossible, we're going to have them at the heart level. We're going to win them at the heart level. I find that very compelling as well. <laughs> no, definitely not Gen Z. Okay, that's great. Any other insights you'd like to share? This has been a really helpful exercise in trying to crack the code on the generations, particularly Gen Z. Yeah, well, I have started something here that has worked for me. Maybe it will work for you and your listeners. Um, it's a term that I may have brought up before as I've conversed with you on a podcast, but it's reverse mentoring. Um, Jack Welch introduced that term to us back in the 90s when he was leading General Electric, and he had his older executives that did not like computers back in the 90s. They were all weird and too new, but he had MIT grads that were loving these computers. So he put a, you know, let's say a 60-year-old executive with a 22-year-old new rookie, and they would get together, they would swap stories like I referred to earlier, find common ground. Then the older member of this pair would share, here's how this company works. That's going to be helpful to you. But then the younger member would say, let me explain this new technology that we're putting to use here. And it was a mutual value add. They learned to really love and appreciate each other. Dare I say love each other in a very healthy, appropriate way. I think we need to bring that back. I think I can learn from the younger generation. And I hope to God they would feel like they may have something to learn from me. Um, oh my gosh, does that create healthy businesses, nonprofits, churches, and boy, anywhere you go, I think it's just healthy to see reverse mentoring in action. So the book is called A New Kind of Diversity. You can get it anywhere books are sold. And Tim, where can people find you these days online? Yeah, well, I am still at growingleaders.com and you can get the book there or Amazon or wherever. Um, the Actually, if they want to um, order the book, uh, newdiversitybook.com is a place you can go and get a bunch of bonuses uh, that that, oh, cool. that comes up before. Newdiversitybook.com. Oh, Carrie, I should share this. There's an assessment that's free that a, that a person can take. I meant to mention this earlier. It's it's hmm. so fun. Um, so if you go to newdiversitybook.com, uh, you can take the assessment. It's 41 questions and. <laughs> You can see how fluid, or excuse me, fluent you are with Gen Z, with millennials, with Gen X, with boomers, and you get a score at the end on how well you are at connecting with each of these generations. So that could be a lot of fun for people. That'd be a lot of book, uh, fun. We'll link to all of that in the show notes. And Tim, thanks once again for delivering so much value in this conversation. Appreciate Carrie, it. Carrie, I always love hanging out with you. Thanks for having me on the show.
Tim's always got so much research. Uh, one day I'm going to have to stand out and say, so how do you write 35 books? It's fascinating. We have links to everything we talked about in the show notes. You can find it at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 527. And we also have transcripts. I am a transcript reader. And if you are, you will enjoy those as well. Uh, we want to thank our partners for this podcast, Pro Media Fire. If you want to recession-proof your company, church, or business, go to promediafire.com slash recessionproof. That's promediafire.com slash recessionproof. Get your congregation on board by helping meet a practical need for a child in poverty this holiday season by implementing a giving tree in your church. Simply go to compassion.com slash giving tree slash carry. That's compassion.com slash giving tree slash carry. Well, next episode, we got Les McEwen back, one of our most popular guests of all time. I think this is round three or four for him on the podcast. And we're going to talk about the difference between feeling like you're a failure and being a real failure, what the difference actually is, two keys to leaders who make it over the long haul, imposter syndrome, and the problem with people-pleasing leaders. He's one of my favorite leadership thinkers. And here is an excerpt. Pivoting is not innovation. A lot of people thought they were they were going to get through this by doing something called pivoting. It became the key word. In the church world, it was essentially go online, right? Right. If you're not there, go online. That is not, pivoting is not innovating. It's just doing what everybody else is now doing. And it's necessary, but it's just a hygiene factor. It's just, oh, that's the least we've got to do. The innovation is how do we do it in a way that differentiates us and makes us relevant. That's coming up next time. Also coming up, Chris Anderson from TED Talks. Nancy Duarte is back. Rory Vaden, Lisa Turkhurst, Patrick Lencioni, Sean Cannell, Annie F. Downs, James Clear, Erwin McManus, and so much more. Got a great lineup coming for you. And uh, well, thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please leave a rating and review. And if you would, please join me for a free workshop that I'm having very, very soon, October 24th and 25th. It's not too late. If you're interested in growing your church next year, maybe sit on the board, you lead a church, you're on staff, you're a key volunteer, come. Go to churchgrowthaccelerator.com. You can register for free. I will show you five different ways you can grow your church in the next 12 months, and you'll leave with a game plan to carry it out. So check it out, churchgrowthaccelerator.com. Thank you so much for listening, everybody, and I hope our time together today has helped you thrive in life and leadership. <laughs>